What's up, everyone? Hey, it's been a minute. Welcome to the Mental Game Podcast. I'm Sam Brief. Sorry to keep you waiting a little bit for this one, but you know, sometimes things get hectic. I did need to get back on the Mental Game train, though, because these podcasts, they really fill me up, and that's where they're a little selfish, but I hope they fill you up, too. I really do enjoy bringing these to you, and I especially enjoyed this last one, which is with Austin Anderson, who right now is in his fifth season at Judson University in the Chicago suburbs where he's the director of athletic communications. And Austin's someone who I met in person for the first time a couple months ago when I was broadcasting a Judson football game. And I met him at this little press box out at Judson. And then afterwards, I was looking him up on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. And I stumbled across this website of his, which he calls Minds of Meaning. And in it, he details his story, which usually I try to recap people's stories in this little intro and then go to the podcast. But no one really should do that other than the person. So in the podcast, I'm going to let Austin tell you his story, which is so unique and the hurdles he's had to overcome and how he's such a thriving professional in sports now, such a joy to work with. First in broadcasting, now as a director of communications at an NCAA school, he has overcome a lot. So he'll tell you about that. We'll break it down and much more on this episode of The Mental Game. So I don't have much more to say. Like, I just kind of want to let Austin take it away from here. So I hope you're doing well. It's great to talk with you again. But now let's just get to the meat and potatoes. Without further ado, here is Austin Anderson. Start from the beginning, right? First, born '95, um, so you know, prime '90s baby, whatnot. Get 18 months into things, things seem to be going well. Natural uh, progression of health milestones and things of the sort. Uh, and before you know it, by I started missing some vital signs, not being able to talk as normally as a 18 month old would, um, having irritable uh, at certain noises and things. Um, and it started to gradually lead to some concern, especially from my immediate family. Uh, and, and, and it caused um, some worry about what this could be, as I'm certainly not progressing as I should. And I, it started a, thankfully, my parents were very diligent. Um, and, and my mom has a background in healthcare, And uh, my, my, my dad is a good communicator with an education. So he, he can kind of understand things. Um, and throughout this process, they started to realize that they really need to seek out specialists uh, thoughts to see maybe what could be wrong with me. And the first, you know, several people eventually came up with, uh, they thought that I was somewhere on the, the spectrum of autism. Um, and in the midst of that, there were a lot of key signs that were matching up with that. And, and, and some, and, and some of these doctors thought that this could be actually a, a more severe kind than just uh, a high functioning. It might be a little bit more low functioning. And um, throughout this whole process, my mom, it made sense to her, but not everything was fully lining up uh, with, with just all the little descriptions of what autism was right. A lot since it's uh, chronic and usually you're born with it. Why did I progress for 18 months and all of a sudden just stop all of a sudden, right? Like there's a lot of these kinds of thoughts and she wasn't convinced again that she, that it could be autism. So thankfully uh, my parents were persistent and eventually we found a doctor. 
out in California through a family friend, crazy connection. Uh, and, and, and we found a doctor, his name is Michael Goldberg out uh, in, in Tarzana, California, suburban LA. Uh, and, and he sees a lot of patients that have similar things to me where, you know, they get this autism diagnosis and it just doesn't completely line up with what the full description is, you know, from when the uh, illness was first discovered in like the fifties or whatever. Right. So we get to this point and he, is very big into adjusting diet, bringing in some, uh, you know, behavior, behavior therapy, not in the sense of like, you know, correcting behavior, but like, you know, eye movement, like just all these certain things, you know, uh, some different regimens of after taking some blood work of taking some pills, um, which it's not even really the main effect he's looking for, but the side effect. And he's still, he's still kind of birthing a lot of his um, philosophies and things, but just by, uh, personal testimony, he's been able to prove that there has been a lot of success with his regimen and he's continues on. Uh, and it started with actually his wife having some chronic fatigue uh, syndrome and, and she was able to overcome that. So in a similar way, he saw some things that maybe he could help uh, children on the autistic spectrum. And with having people being able to get help and uh, through a lot of persistence and financial you know, input and a lot of things, he has seen some people go from, you know, being on the low end of the spectrum of autism or considered low end of the spectrum of autism uh, to fully healed. And by, you know, teen, early teenage years, and my parents uh, know, knew that it was going to be a lot of resources, a lot of, um, a, a lot of financial resources, but time and, and, and trying to see different specialists and things to make this all work out. And, and I'm so thankful that they were persistent in this. Um, and, by eventually this kind of gradual improvements by the age of um, 12 or 13, uh, the doctor pretty much said that, you know, you're fully healed, you're, you're normally functioning, you're not, you know, he didn't believe that I was in the autistic spectrum in the first place, but, you know, I'm, you know, fully functioning, whatever. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. But as something I've kind of started to realize as I've kind of um, progressed in my young adult uh, life is that, there is um, some of the, even though I am fully physically healed um, and I'm so thankful for that because a lot of the vital development years, I was a little bit behind in terms of, you know, learning emotionally. Um, intellectually, I was, I was pretty much there by the time I was really needing to, but, you know, emotionally, I probably was a little behind. And I started to notice that I was starting to be really anxious um, and that's something that my doctor said, because, you know, you struggle so much as a young child, you have this sense of doubt that you're not going to be able to do this, right? You're not going to be able to do, um, you know, you're not going to be able to achieve just this mental kind of thing. So that's kind of been, you know, in the mental game, that's kind of always been the hurdle that I've been trying to overcome, right? Uh, that, you know, I, there's no way I can, you know, get one college degree yet two, and now I'm my third, you know, there's, there's no way I could do this or whatnot. Um, but there's a sense of just persevering and that's that, and that's just kind of what I'm um, wanting to do. And by the time I got to the end of college, I was really fully realizing of this anxiety and um, kind of with a lot of different shifts in my life too, I was kind of starting to be depressed of like the situations that were, that weren't there anymore. So, you know, going through and, and, and being constantly, um, trying to fight, you know, mental health issues, even till today. And, you know, with the rise of social media and all these other technologies, which I find to be great, there's certainly the side effects of those, which can amplify some of these feelings. So, you know, my twenties have been a lot better. Um, even in my teens, I think like every, you know, stage of life, I've been so thrilled that to have these next steps. Um, but 
you know, in this season, I'm still trying to, you know, continue to, to, to fight and, and give hope to others. And that's why I created this Minds of Meaning website. Uh, you know, I, I was telling you before we started talking here, uh, recorded wise, uh, that I uh, would wish I'd love to update this more, but trying to balance working as a full-time SID and, and in grad school, you know, trying to get my doctorate, all these other things, you know, it, it's very difficult, but I'm thankful that, you know, I have a, at least a base map of that. And, you know, I'd love down the line to do like teaching and communications and have some public speaking opportunities to share more about my story and, you know, give hope and inspire others and, you know, maybe even write a book or something down the line. So that's kind of where the, the career and life plan is currently uh, shaping itself out. I could see all of those things shaping up for you because the things you've had to overcome are really not relatable for a lot of people, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's inspiring. And I, I personally am. I don't know how anyone listening or reading your website could not be. I'm curious, looking at the person you are now, which is a thriving professional in the field you've wanted to work in, who does things on the side like bike 100 miles, and I know you, you have a lot of other uh, huge aspects of your life. What, if any, is the biggest influence that the condition still has on you? That's a great question. I think just the, and again, the way I like to phrase it is that like the, the illness itself I, I, I'm cured from, but just like just elements of just depression, anxiety, and just all those things is kind of what I'm struggling with now. You know, some of it's kind of stems from that, but I kind of view it as two different entities. Um, I think it's just kind of a cloud over um, really every aspect of my life, really. Right. Cause I'm, cause I'm kind of really dual faceted right now um, in balancing work and my doctorate program. Right. And, and trying to go through both of those and having hurdles like, you know, this fall, like we're bringing on a football program and seeing how crazy other schools, uh, you know, invest as they should into a football program. Just, you know, this ramp up at, at work, you know, I started to have these thoughts like, man, like I'm not gonna be able to pull this off. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of difficulties that come with this. Like, there's no way I can pull this off. Like, and granted, I didn't need assistance and the school provided that, which I'm thankful for. But that's something that I, you know, have to wrestle and just kind of overcome and just do sometimes, right? Like I'm most successful when I do. I spend a lot more time. I have a lot of planning anxiety because I have to balance so many things. A lot of oh, times I too. just... <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. I, I sometimes spend way much more time looking at my agenda on Google Keep than I do actually doing the projects. And I realize once I do them, you know, they're good, right? Or or in my doctorate program, you know, the thought of, you know, in four years trying to write, you know, being done with a dissertation and graduating, just like the thought of, wow, like how on earth am I going to write a hundred pages, you know, at least, let alone, you know, of quality research. And, you know, and I'm realizing that, you know, the steps along the way really help you persevere over things, right? And just kind of realizing and reflecting that, you know, for me personally, it's like, wow, look at what I overcame when I was younger. The odds were way more stacked against me then than they are now, right? And I'm sure everyone here, you know, everyone that's listening or, you know, even you, Sam, just like the idea that, you know, when you overcome an or see an obstacle, it's very. It's a good way to try to overcome it is to gain confidence from just looking back at something that you overcame previously that is probably as equal or even great, uh, greater uh, of a challenge than you're facing now. 
Uh, and I think then that can give you some confidence going into it. Like, yeah, I, I can do this. And, you know, there's going to be struggles. It's not going to be like snap your fingers. And I think too, that's something that you kind of deal with um, in a lot of modern society too, which is a little bit of a struggle is that so many things are technologically so quick that we forget sometimes how hard things are, you know, it, not everything can be in our control, right? And, and and that's something I get, I can control freak at times. And as soon as there's a variable that is beyond what's in my spectrum, you know, I it, it can be really frustrating for me, so. The resilience that comes from it is remarkable. And the planning anxiety you talk about, oh my God, like what, what was yours, Google Keep? Yeah, I use Google Keep. So okay. it's like OneNote, but Google's version of it. Um, yeah. I, I love it. Man, I mean, me. I stare at my Google Calendar, my Notes app on my iPhone, the Reminders app, and I'm like, just go do the things, you know. You stop, you know, like you'll get it done. You always do, Sam. I mean, yeah. So I, I relate to that that little planning stuff. Um, but Austin, the, do you think you're more resilient because of what you went through as a young kid? That's a that's a good question. I, it's tough because. I don't know what the alternative would have been, right? Like I, I didn't grow up in a, a you know completely normal uh, childhood, and I, as I was, you know, as I kind of processed this question, I think I am, and it's kind of subconscious because a lot of times I forget that I even had this condition, right? Like I, I just view myself as a normal person and I'm so thankful that my parents were able to help me get to that point. And, and, and that was their goal too. They just wished one day that I could just act normal and forget about what happened, right? So at one level, that said, I think it's good at times to reflect on it, not view myself as a victim, but reflect on it and say, look, like because I overcame this, then I am more resilient and therefore I can be ambitious, right? The, the, the doctorate program was not on my radar leaving school. I, I studied, I wanted to be, you know, like you, you know, play by play guy. And that was, that was like my goal and dream from really age 10 to the end of college or so a 12 year push where I thought that was like my goal. And I finished college, had a great experience. was starting to kind of wonder if this was right for me, just because of a lot of the, uh, I was good at what I was doing. But I think people underappreciate in the sports field in general, whether as an SID or a broadcaster, uh, how much work goes into every minute of what you do, right? My, my, one of my professors in college, who's a former Pirates broadcaster, Lanny Frateri, uh, he suggests for every three hour or every hour you're on to have three hours of preparation, right? Yep, <laughs> yep. I love that years. rule. Oh my gosh. And it's like, and just this idea. And it's one of those things that if you want to do it, you know, you got to love it. And I do love it. But then as I was kind of, you know, starting to come out of my shell with my, you know, my personal story, I was, you know, kind of thinking through and, and wondering, like, is the resilience and knowing myself and the critique it's going to be and the grind it is to get to whatever you view as the top. And, and, and that might even, you know, for some of us, you know, that go into broadcasting, you know, being content in minor leagues is great and they have a career and it's awesome. Some people want to get to that all the way to the top. And to know all of the hurdles and the knockdowns and everything else, I just, I don't think I was emotionally ready to go into that. Um, and it was starting to gradually um, turn. So as I was finishing college, I did land uh, a extended assistantship in the American Association with the Gary Railcats for a summer. Great experience. My arrival. I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> 
love Gary to death. You know, I, I love the league. It's a great league and um, just, just happy for the success it's had. Um, but by the time I was finished with that, I kind of knew the validation of my hunch. Like there's a lot of work and just, I just don't think emotionally I'm ready for this, but I really don't know what the next step is. Right. And I love sports and I want to be in sports, you know, I, at the time, like throughout my whole career. And then this door Judson opened, I got into it the first couple of years. I just did the job, but I was kind of starting to gain interest in like being more vulnerable about my story. Cause I was very, hesitant. And I guess that's a part of the answer. Yes, I am more resilient because I was even scared to share my story, not knowing what people think of me and just being able to break my own skin and just be able to share it. Um, that's just been so great. And as so then a couple years into this, you know, in, into this uh, job at Judson, I started to realize, you know, maybe a teaching kind of, you know, vibe could be a cool route to go and public speaking. And so then I, you know, I got convinced to go into a master's program. And then once I'm there, my mind was like, all right, I'm going to be resilient. I'm just going to go for it. And, you know, so then it's basically three weeks into my master's program. I'm like, is this an 18 month program? What are the doctorate programs out there? And then eventually I got hooked up with Judson and, you know, here we are. And, you know, in some ways I'm out of my league in the sense that I, uh, I'm the youngest person ever admitted into one of their programs at the doctorate level. Um, and I probably in academia have one of the least experiences, uh, of anyone there. So just kind of the learning curve of some of that lingo and everything else. Uh, I, I think it's building up more resiliency in me. Uh, but to get back to the initial point of your question, I think, yes, certainly I have more resiliency, uh, but maybe I have some uh, cowardice tendencies, <laughs> right? Like, so like I am resilient, but like in my head, I think that I'm not. So, you know, may, maybe I'm like the, uh, you know, the cowardly lion a little bit, uh, but, but eventually I, 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 I gained that courage. So, <laughs> The cowardly lion doesn't start a website where he sprays out his story to the world and puts it in his Twitter bio. So you are no cowardly lion, my friend. <laughs> Thanks. Then Austin, I'm fascinated by the concept of sharing your story because yes. everyone has a story. Yours has a unique aspect of this major health, physical and mental health hurdle that you have climbed and are continuing to climb and I'm intrigued by it in a way be, uh, because I think a lot of people can relate to the concept of being afraid to share their story if they're struggling with say depression or anxiety and don't want to confide in loved ones which is a form of sharing a story or go to therapy which is a form of sharing a story right you go to therapy one of the first questions you ask get asked is so what's, what's your story? Like, what's your deal? Why are you here? And there are many people who are not comfortable with that. I know for me, I'm very comfortable with that now. Two years ago, I don't know about that. So how did you, what's the mechanism by which you, by which, that sounds so, um, you're an academic, that sounds such an academic phrase, you know, Ooh, what's the method by which you... <laughs> overcame that hurdle of sharing your story? That's a good question. I think a lot of it has to do um, with, as you were mentioning, I think a lot of this therapy and being open and just you know, breaking that hurdle of openness. And it seems harder than it may be. And not everyone has um, the most accessible resources um, to lay this out. And, and I admit that, but being able to, um, find people in your life, doesn't have to be a family member, um, 
for me, eventually it was counseling. And thankfully with uh, a lot of insurance packages, counseling is very affordable. Um, I think right now with my healthcare plan, I'm paying $30 out of pocket per visit, right? So, you know, not, not, not a complete out of this world expenditure, but having, you know, kind of finding myself in that because there was a season where I didn't relate. I didn't know that my anxiety probably was rooted in because of the struggles I had when I was younger, right? I just saw myself having anxiety and kind of having a counselor help draw that out and parallel the connections between those two. Um, and, and, and even going now, like I don't see myself stop and going to counseling right now. I'm kind of averaging about every other week. I mean, there's seasons where once a month suffices, but there's just so much that goes on in life. It's very easy. And in a fast world like today, you know, we're, we're going so fast that we don't even have time to process it. So if nothing else, a counseling session, even if you're not like the most vulnerable or don't want to be the most vulnerable, you know, even keeping it fairly surface level with someone to be able just to talk one-on-one, setting an hour aside, you know, and, and maybe it is by virtue of having to hire a counselor to create that spot is so helpful because there's moments where, you know, I, I'm about ready to go off the ledge. And in reality, when I sit down and parse it out, you know, your, your mind tells you a lot of things that aren't true, right? And, and, and to parse that out and be able to realize it uh, can be such a game changer in terms of how, you, you know, you can think about your day um, and, and go from there. Yes. Oh, like when I first started going to therapy about two years ago, I needed it. I yeah. wasn't doing well and I went to it out of necessity. Yeah. Fortunately, I've gotten to a point where I don't enter every session in that mindset of like, I need this. You know, you know sometimes I'm like, I'm great right now. Like I feel mentally healthy. Life is good. I'm chilling. But it's still nice. Like, because cause we're, we're never perfect, right? There's always something, and it's just nice to do a check-in because it's different when you talk to family and friends and loved ones. It's just different. So I can appreciate that, and I think that's an important message that it's – especially when the person you're talking to is a mental health professional. Uh, you know, there are certain things that you could have the best – significant other or friend or mom in the world but if they're not a mental health professional there are certain things they're not they're not on absolutely and i think you you hit the nail on the head and that's why i advocate counseling a lot because there are elements where going to family or a close friend can help but really everyone has a bias and even a counselor i guess they're human they're going to have some thoughts in their mind but they're about as independent as you can get from what your world or worldview is um, or your perception of what's happening in your life. So they can sometimes pull things out that other people just can't. And, 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 and you know, and that's, uh, that's something you just got to think about and, and process. So, you know, e- even if like counseling, that term seems like too crazy or therapy just seems too crazy of a term, you know, potentially just being able to try to find a way to be more vulnerable uh, to someone who's maybe a little bit less involved in your life that you trust. That's the key. Don't, don't just walk up to a stranger and do it, but you know, finding that someone's a little more independent can really help shape uh, and give you proper perspective of how to attack certain things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, it, it sounds to me, Austin, like in your own journey, the first step was counseling and the therapy internally. And then the second step was blasting it out to the world I'm curious about that second step and creating the website that you've created. And again, 
For those of you who haven't seen it yet, it's Minds of Meaning. You can find it at mindsofmeaning.wordpress.com. So, Austin, when did that idea and the execution of that come into fold? Um, I That's a good question. I, I About probably two or three years ago, when this whole concept just started to really churn in my mind, right? I kind of felt this moment of, you know, releasing and, you know, kind of feeling a sense of liberation about it towards the end of college and right out of college. And about that time, I was starting to think, I just need a place that's kind of like a landing spot, right? Just for people to just go ahead and and, and under, just read more. Because if I just get into a standard conversation with someone um, or, or I'm even speaking in a public forum, which I have before, thankfully, uh, it's so hard to encapsulate everything that's gone on. And not to say that my website has everything. It's it's far from it. And again, I want to build it up more as I find time, uh, but at least I can direct someone to a resource that can give them a little more time to process and think through, because let's face it in, in one-on-one conversation or even in, you know, public forums, it's very difficult to just internalize and process everything. However, you know, if you separate yourself and you read something, you know, intently, you know, things will be more will you know, more able to stick with you. Right. So that, that was just kind of the process. I'm not trying to, and I'm, not, I'm not a snake oil salesman or anything in that regard. You know, I'm just trying to, yeah, I just want a place where people can just go to and find resources and find hope um, to I think that's a big purpose of this, right? Like I, the, the, the family that has the kid that has similar symptoms and just doesn't quite think that, you know, autism um, lines up with their, what their kid's situation is that they can maybe have a chance to find some help and be able to uh, see their child have success in life down the road. Uh, and that's just something where I'm just hoping for. So That's really noble. And, and that gets into your goals, Austin. What What is your goal? I, I, I know there's, for anyone who works, right, your goal, like right now, maybe your goal is to write a cross-country recap, right? But I'm talking big picture in your life. What do you see as your purpose right now? Yeah, I see as my purpose, um, one, just kind of like loving on others just in general. Um, you know, I consider myself a man of faith and just someone that I uh, I, I think I'm a mission is just to love on people and, and, and do that. But also, um, I I think a, a bigger just kind of personal goal, I think a lot, each of us kind of have unique uh, gifts and skill sets uh, that can apply and be a contribution to the world. And I think for me, my situation allows me to kind of go into an area that not everyone has, right? Like, you know, the common Joe hasn't gone through what I've gone through. So in the midst of that, the idea of doing the teaching and the public speaking, the book writing is, you know, it it could be a cool way to have a career. Yes. But I think the goal is just to be able to gain more, um, more exposure for it for one, but then see if not that I'm necessarily a medical researcher, but just kind of see if there can be more um, of a spurning a momentum of, of this neuroimmune dysfunction syndrome uh, awareness. Uh, there's a lot of in the medical field. Um, it, there's a lot of encouragement of just kind of doing this kind of like big grouping of things, right? Like they love to try. If you see some you know minor tweak of of a, some other illness or something, they love to group things into things, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But it, then it becomes an uphill climb when someone else has a new idea, um, like Dr. Goldberg or someone else with a similar mindset um, to, to make make their case in the medical field. And I think 
you know, if, if my life is a contribution to uh, just getting even another X amount of people, um, I'm not, I don't want to put a number on it or else I, I, I don't want to, you know, make it seem like it's success or failure based on the quantity. But if a certain amount of people can become more aware of this and, and get, you know, their child healed for, or and to be more functional uh, as a human, I mean, that's, that's, that's the big goal. So. Which is really great. I mean, I, I, and I really hope that that works out. I'm also thinking something in what you just said made me sort of wonder about the flip side of it. You know, you mentioned doubters and uh, people might not believe your story and which is absurd to me, but have you dealt with that personally? Someone doubting you? Not necessarily doubting. And that's been a, an irrational fear that I've had to work through, which was the hesitancy in really launching this, right? Uh, and it took me a few years to kind of get confident in myself through counseling and everything else and say, all right, you know, I don't care what people say about me. This is my story. No one's going to tell me otherwise. I'm just going to say it, right? Um, but I think the biggest thing, because it's just so not known in the world uh, of, of someone who could possibly be considered at one point in the autism spectrum and be healed that I've had people hear my story and their judgment is, Oh, here's a guy who succeeds with high functioning autism. And that's not what I'm currently experiencing. I never had autism. The best way to probably explain it is that it was a misdiagnosis of autism with similar tendencies. And I was able to overcome an illness, which I was able to be healed from. Uh, but I think, misunderstandings as opposed to judgments is probably the bigger things that I'm challenging with right now. Uh, but that said, I'm, I'm so thankful to be, you know, functioning normally. And I'm so busy trying to balance work and school right now um, that there's just very little time uh, to overthink these kinds of things. And I, I do better, uh, which sometimes is a bad thing, but I do better when I am busy because then I'm a, I don't overthink things. So, <laughs> yeah, the time to overthink is, <laughs> That, that, that's like, for me, and I, I can tell you're maybe not exactly the same, but similar, but for me, that's like the worst thing sometimes is extra time. I'm like, I don't want extra time. I just want to do all the stuff I'm doing because, you know, they go crazy. Um, Austin, when you are juggling so much and the job that you have and that I have where you've got a lot of sports you're dealing with and sometimes you might be on air doing something or writing something or statting something and it's a lot to juggle and I know a lot of people who work in and out of sports can relate to the juggling and maybe it's someone who's juggling their kids and a health issue and taking care of a parent, right? Everyone's got that juggling something. What is your best way that you get rid of anxiety while juggling. I'm just curious if you've got a strategy that works for you. And I ask you because you're such a resilient person. Well, thank you for the compliment. But that's a great question in the sense that, especially in the sports world, uh, be, just because of the nature of when games are played and everything else, a work-life balance becomes very difficult. Um, and I think for me that anxiety of just taking care of, um, I'm, I'm single currently, so I don't have any, you know, familial, uh, issues in terms of like a, you know, a wife and kids or something per se, uh, or a girlfriend or whatnot. But, um, in the midst of all this though, I, I still do enjoy hanging out with friends and family and, 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 you know, having some semblance of, you know, downtime in the midst of busyness. Um, and it's a challenge. And I think, um, 
one of my professors in my doctorate program said this a few weeks ago, um, and it's kind of given me a little bit more peace uh, because I'm juggling so much. He said, don't be mad at what you can't do. Be thankful for what you can do. Right. And it's a lot in all of life. Sometimes that feels perspective. I think that's the key in counseling too, right? Is it's not like the situations that you face are not going to be different uh, or outcomes probably not going to be different just from a counseling session, but the way you think about it and the way you process it totally, it could change your whole perspective and therefore change your mood. Um, and I think that's the key, right? Our emotions we're realizing as a world, thankfully now that our emotions are just so vital and they really are the key to, who we are, we're, we're, we're mental beings and, and we, we are made to think. Uh, and, and, I, and I really appreciate that. We're not just here to, you know, do X, Y, and Z, boom, 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 right? So like, and I think that's something that if one sense of encouragement is just, you know, all of our lives are different and not everyone has, you know, the American dream lifestyle. And just because someone has a, you know, this situation in their life doesn't mean that that's what you need to be at or should be in, you know, try to be content in the situation that you have and then just be thankful for the opportunities when you get them to do things that you enjoy. That is really valuable. That is a really valuable point. Looking forward, kind of bouncing off of that and how you see the rest of your you know, tenure at Judson and you studying, getting your degree. How do you most want to improve your mental game going forward, Austin? I think that's a good question. I think for me... It's mostly just being getting more quickly into that positive perspective mode, right? Like I, I tend to be a uh, a worst case scenarioist, uh, so that like my, my thought process. If I think that's the worst case scenario, then everything above that will be good, which in theory could work. But then you dwell on the worst case scenario, right? And it takes me a while to kind of get and snap myself into the reality, or probably the more you know realistic reality of it. Uh, so that's probably what I'm going to continue to work with my counselor on and just kind of, you know, get to that realistic point sooner. Uh, even maybe the first time you hear something that kind of troubles you for whatever reason, just quickly snap into that to limit the anxiety that's happening in my life. So that's kind of the next steps of what I'm trying to work on in my mental game. Yeah. Yeah. Positive, positive mindset is it can change everything. I read a really interesting quote once from, James Clear, who wrote that viral book, Atomic Habits, and he has a great newsletter that I highly recommend, but it, it phrased things, and I got it saved here somewhere on my desktop. There it is. Okay, so I, this was so good, I saved it on my, on my computer. It says, get to. We spend a lot of time talking about everything we have to do. You have to finish 10 things at work. You got to exercise. You have to cook dinner for your family. Now change one word in each sentence. You don't have to. You get to. You get to finish these 10 things. You get to exercise. You get to cook dinner for your family. The right perspective transforms your burdens into opportunities. And I think that kind of mindset, which is so much easier said than done, so much easier said than done, but if done, even a little bit, can really make us happier beings. Oh, for sure. My, my dad has a phrase that, you know, uh, it kind of was, my grandpa started it is that, you know, you never know, and, you know, tomorrow you can get hit by a Mack truck and, you know, all, all of what you thought was, you know, burdens, you'd wish you'd have those opportunities, right? So that's just always something you just got to keep in mind and be thankful for is just like having these things to do. And yes, it's, it's, it could be annoying in the moment, but in the end, 
doing these things and having the ability to do it is a gift and just cherishing those will help with the positivity. Oh, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. And Austin, before I let you go, and I'm extremely grateful for your time and, and sharing your story with us today. Is there anything you want to leave our audience with, you know, something I didn't ask you about or something that you think is an important note to end on? I think just again, just reiterating the idea that um, it's just not uh, the circumstances that you're in are probably not going to be the result of going and getting help is not going to probably change the circumstances you're in, but going to get help will allow you to think differently about the perspectives that you face. And that's just the message I just kind of want to leave people on. Um, just the idea that we all go through burdens, we all go through struggles, uh, but the more, you know, the more positively we think about it, you know, the better we're going to be on a day-to-day basis. And, and, and it really trickles into everything, right? Like if, if, if I have a bad day, I'm not saying that it's going to lead to me writing a bad email to a coworker that I wasn't expecting to write, but you know, the, the mood and perception of things you're more, you know, more prone uh, to make decisions that you maybe don't want to make. Right. And if you're more positive and, 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 and more mindful of that throughout the day and can take those perspectives of things, you're probably more likely to treat other people with respect or respect or just be kind to them more. Um, so it's not just a thing about you, um, although it is important to make sure we have good self-help, but it really affects the people that we're around too. So always uh, seek help. Um, I'm always a resource. People can reach out to me. Uh, I have contact info on my site. Uh, you can reach out to me and I'm happy to talk through things. Life's a struggle, man. I mean, it's not, it's not the easiest thing, but you know, I think uh, being able to persevere and be grateful helps you know, get through every single day. Austin, I'll put it in the bio or in the description and everything, but can you just tell people if they're not reading, tell them how to reach you if they want to. Okay. Yeah. If you go directly to mindsofmeaning.com, it will just redirect you to my site. Uh, and then through there, there's contact information. Uh, so just mindsofmeaning.com. Uh, and I'll be happy to, there's contact me, whatever. Uh, I have information that you can just reach out. Uh, and I'd be happy to, uh, reach out and, and talk with you. Also Twitter, uh, a underscore D underscore Anderson, uh, is a very easy way to find me. Uh, and I'm, I'm always able to DM people and, you know, go further from there. I appreciate the hurdles you've overcome and the fact that you're able to so openly share your story. So thank you for the time. And I hope that we can have a follow-up sometime down the line. Oh, most definitely, Sam. This was great. I'm so grateful that you gave me this opportunity, you know, always looking for chances just to, uh, just share share the story that I had and hopes that, you know, it might, uh, who knows, uh, it might be able to uh, change change someone's life forever. And that's just my goal. What a great and valuable conversation, valuable with Austin Anderson. And he really makes me think about why I do this podcast, because in that episode, you heard his thoughts on why he shares his story, why he has his website right? If he can help one family, one kid. That's why I do this podcast too in, in a different way. But if one person out there who struggles with crippling depression or anxiety or anything decides to seek help by listening to the podcast, then I've done my job, right? I'm not doing this to have millions of views and sell a bunch of ads and make a bunch of money. I don't do ads. Like, yeah, it'd be great. Sure, I'd love to go viral, but that's not why I'm doing this. Like, if one of you out there is like, hey, I'm vibing with what they're saying, I'm going to go to a therapist, or I'm going to open up to my girlfriend about 
what's been going on in my life or I'm just going to take a little more time every week for self-care because I'm struggling or I'm just going to admit that I'm struggling, then I'm doing my job. So I hope you enjoy the stories, enjoy some of the banter, but really I hope you take something from this and help spread the message from the mental game, which is that it's okay to not be okay. You can tell people about it. You can admit it. And if you need it, you can and you should seek help. As always, like Austin said, I'm here for you, at Sam Brief on Twitter. You can find my email. You can find it on my website, sambrief.com. I really hope you reach out if you feel that I, in whatever way, could help out. So as always, take care of yourself. Do a little something-something to treat yourself this week. I know I need it, so odds are you do too. Enjoy your week. Be well, and I'll talk to you next time on The Mental Game. Adios from Chicago, folks. Mm-hmm.